0: Brothers and sisters, that gospel is full of some jacked up stuff. Far from being vegan friendly, the passage borders on, or more honestly, falls right into cannibalistic language. It's not a new charge for the Gospel of John. This passage's striking and graphic metaphors have been a tool for persecuting Christians for centuries. Because of the violence and starkness of these words, I wonder if they're sometimes discounted in order to avoid conflict. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean to eat him. It's just a figure of speech. Really, look away from that part. Here, look at where it talks about lambs and green pastures. That's much better. Or there's this part where Jesus feeds people bread and fishes That's what he's really talking about. Just feeding people, like offering all that he has to nourish people. Not really anything so desperate as bread, as blood, I'm sorry, or flesh. So why did John bother to use such stunning language? Why didn't he just explain what he meant and calm the crowds down a little bit? Cannibalism, while practiced throughout all of human history, rightly stirs up a strong response, both in the first century, just as it does for hearers today. The fallout from these statements by Jesus is documented later in the same chapter. Many could not accept his teaching and stopped following him. Even in our reading this morning, we see that the Jews were horrified by his assertion. One theologian, Jordan's favorite one, Martin Luther, suspects that Jesus is baiting followers of his who have become complacent in their eating and drinking, too comfortable with their communion. Luther urges familiar readers To investigate what Jesus was driving at with this peculiar speech. What could he mean, Luther says? Is one man to devour the other? Surely this cannot be his meaning. Then let them deliberate and reflect on the matter and ask what he did mean. If it was good enough for Luther, it's good enough for me. Would you spend a few minutes with me this morning reflecting and deliberating about what Jesus did mean? Often I find it illuminating to draw in another piece of scripture to be in conversation when one is locked up and mysterious like this one in front of us. So... using the wisdom of our mothers and fathers in faith, let us turn to the old testament passage assigned for this morning, letting the words our forebearers paired up, perhaps break open or at least crack these mysteries of God. Back in Proverbs, we have a whole story in just 6 verses. A woman named Wisdom is capable and strong. She's preparing a big dinner party. She's built her house in preparation for that event. She went to the butcher, the wine store, took out her best china. She sends invitations. She herself joins the chorus of calls to come in and enjoy the food that she offers. She works hard. She gives her all. And I'm struck that it's the simple who accept her invitation. It's the ones who might be called naive or stupid who come in and are nourished by her table. Lay aside immaturity, she says, and live, and walk in the way of insight. So it is that humility, admitting to being simple, is the way to maturity, to life. Now, Luther makes very clear that he doesn't think that Jesus is only talking about Holy Communion. He thinks that attributing all the bloody, visceral language to the Eucharist is selling Jesus short, taking the easy way out, avoiding, as Luther put it, the deliberation that God and Jesus is offering here in this mystery. So let's keep deliberating. Who are those in our lives who are often considered the simple or the immature. Our culture often tells us that those are children. We even use euphemisms for adults who have a childlike mind. Children, then, are the ones who I think might race to wisdom's well-laid table. I have noticed that grown-ups, for our part, have a way of complicating things making excuses. I know, at least, that I'm an expert rationalizer. Last week, I was binging on oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, and I told Alex, my friend and our director of children's ministries, it's really practically health food. There's oatmeal, and the chocolate chips aren't just milk chocolate, they're dark chocolate, so they're full of all kinds of antioxidants, and I'm drinking milk with them. It's like a well-balanced meal. Do you know what Alex said to me? Hmm, that's quite a lie you've spun. (laughs) That pulled the wind out of my sails and fast. There's nothing wrong with eating cookies but consistently lying to yourself about why you're eating the cookies or why you're drinking the wine or why you're snapping at your spouse or why you're bone tired. There is something wrong with lying to yourself, with covering up the real wound in your life, with making things more complicated than they actually are. Last week, we had two baptisms in the 1015 service, and I invited all the kiddos in the congregation to come to the font for a front row seat in the action. Alia Isaac dashed up. She pushed herself right in front of Father Jordan, who was holding my book, her nose just hovering over the holy water. It reminded me of the wedding that I'd done the night before last Saturday. As I sat and looked at the congregation while Jordan preached the sermon, I was struck that I'd never seen a hundred people in the church all packed up so close to the front. (laughs) Unlike most every Sunday when Elnora and Jesse Rose sit alone in the front pews over in the big church, Alia and all the wedding guests wanted to be as close as possible to the action. Children keep things simple. They're not ashamed to want a good seat. They're open in their eagerness to see what's happening. Why do we slink toward the back on Sunday mornings? Are we afraid of the flesh and the blood? Does the starkness of the miracle make us uneasy, perhaps even unwilling to be close to the action? Are we fearful of the mysteries that are laid on the altar? Are we more like the Israelites who stayed at the foot of the mountain, afraid if we stop lying to ourselves to get close to God? That may very well be, just as our psalm that we prayed together says this morning, come O children, Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Just as children must be taught how to sit, to stand, to walk, to speak, even how to sleep, as children of God, we must be taught our relationship with God. Perhaps we've become too familiar, too humdrum in our worship of the Lord. Perhaps, we stick out our hands for the manna-like wafer, we mindlessly cross ourselves, and it's all just a matter of course. Perhaps we've lost the miracle, we've lost the wonder, the awe that children betray when they race to the front to the font, the awe that we sometimes just can't resist when we pick the closest possible seats at the wedding. My brothers and sisters, each week is a wedding. Each week is your wedding. Each week is a baptism. Each week is your baptism. Our Heavenly Father knows well that we humans are fickle and forgetful creatures. And that is why each and every week we practice again in the same dinner party, the same stunning mystery, the same awesome miracle. We are, each of us, joined to God and to each other in the miracle of God's wedding feast, the sacrament of Jesus's flesh and blood. God's blood, his life-giving force, flows through each of our veins in the holy mystery of communion. Each of us is a piece of Jesus' flesh, ministering to one another as hands and feet and fingers and toes and eyes and ears and mouth and nose, given a share in God's glory through his adoption of us as his children. So may we find our eyes opened anew to his glory May we find our flesh energized for his service. May we find our hearts enlivened and quenched by his Holy Spirit. Amen.